the fresh start in the morning. <laughs> All right, so who's going to win tonight? Is it going to be New England? New England going to win? Anybody? Oh, that was lackluster. Atlanta? All right, all right, all right. Very, very good, very good. Hey, well, guys, uh, this is kind of a big announcement. If you know someone, if you know someone, one of my customers at work has four tickets for the Super Bowl tonight, box seats. He paid $1,800 apiece for them, and he didn't realize last year when he made uh, the reservations and he got the tickets that it was actually the same day of his wedding. So, So if you're interested in taking his place... It's the Victorian Wedding Chapel in Aiken, South Carolina at 3 p.m. Her name is Ashley. She's five foot two and 125 pounds. She has a great job and loves to cook, and she'll be the one in the white dress. All right? So he wanted me just to make that announcement, you know. That, that joke only makes sense in the South where football is king down here. Man. Well, I'm so excited that you're here for our... Um, our pre-Super Bowl message today, Fresh Start, starting this new series. This is the time of year, isn't it, when people are thinking about fresh starts. They're, you know, the new gym memberships have just gone crazy uh, this year. People are losing weight. All kinds of uh, uh, new commitments are being made at the beginning of the year. People are getting fresh starts. Bad habits are being broken. Good habits are being formed. So it's a good time at the church to also talk about Fresh Start, because we really think that more than the diet, more than the gym membership, more than any of that, you know, all of us need a fresh start in our relationship with God, and that's what this, that's what this series is going to be uh, all about. And our church actually exists for that reason, to give people a fresh start with God. We exist so that people far from God or near to God uh, can, can we move from where you are to reaching your highest potential as Christ followers. So that's our goal at Life Church to do that. So what I'm going to do in this message, I'm actually going to kind of set up Fresh Start and tell you what that's all about for a few minutes. And then I'm going to end with a story in the Bible of someone who got a fresh start. Uh, but the first thing that I want you to know, if you're taking notes in your worship guide, there's a place to do that and fill in the blanks. The first thing that I want you to know is that at Life Church, we believe that the key to a fresh start is really four things. Number one, it's to know God. Knowing God, we think, is the, really, uh, the, the first key to, to getting a fresh start. But beyond that, we also believe that it's discovering your purpose, understanding that each and every one of us were made for some reason. You, you know, and, and so the idea of fresh start is, is, is just not going through the grind, you know, where we get up and we go to work in the morning, we work all week and we're working for the weekend and, and, and we do it again the next week and the next week and finally we ask ourselves, why? Why was I put on this earth just to, just to bring home a paycheck, just to do that? Certainly I was created for more than that. And so we believe discovering your purpose is a really key. And then the next thing is finding freedom. And finding freedom is just is just those changes that all of us want to make in our lives. Those changes that we want to make in our lives, uh, that we can be free from some old things and the freedom to become everything that God wants us to be. And finally, we really believe that the last thing is that we make a difference. Every one of us wants to make a difference in this. Some, somehow that we want to leave this place better than we found it. And we actually designed our church in a way that would, would meet these four categories. And so at Life Church, we actually say that we only do four things. We don't, we don't try to be all things to all people, but we say we're going to do these four things and we're going to focus on these four things because these four things are the key to really uh, having a vibrant relationship with God. And the first thing we do is weekend services, what you're at right now. 
And our weekend services are designed to help people know God. Through the music, through the word, everything that we do on our weekend services are designed to help people to know God. We want you to know God cognitively, yes. You know, sometimes we think that uh, church, you know, you have to check your brain at the door. I don't really believe that. I, I believe that God wants to use our brains, doesn't he? So we want to know about God cognitively, but not just cognitively. We want to know him with our hearts, not just our heads, but with our hearts. We want to uh, to know God. How, you know, if you just knew your wife uh, uh, cognitively, that wouldn't be much of a relationship, would it? And so we want with, with both heart and mind uh, to get to know God. Uh, the next thing that we do is something we do once a month called Discover Life. And Discover Life, we have a class that meets the first Sunday of every month. And the reason that we do that, we serve you lunch and all of that. But we do that because we want you to be able to discover your purpose. And so in that class... We actually have what we call spiritual gifts inventory. We give you this little test that kind of helps you see how God wired you, how he made you. We do this little personality uh, inventory called the DISC inventory. It helps you discover a little bit about your personalities and all that. And, and we want to help you discover how it is that God wired you and what it is and what's the purpose that he puts you on the planet for. The other thing that we do is finding freedom. And, and we believe that change happens best in the context of small groups. And so one of the things that we do at Life Church is we have small groups. And, and you can find in your worship guide the different small groups. We just started a new semester of small groups. But small groups are really the ways where we get to know each other. We make, we make friendships. And more than that, we really think that discipleship and change happens best in the context of small groups. And finally, it's make a difference. We really believe that every member is a minister. So we don't just like to have people come here and just become members so that, so that you can just sit and find your place. We really believe that God created you to serve. And we find people that they work all week doing something, but they find their highest purpose in what they're doing around here. Because whether they're mowing the lawn or running the sound or up on the worship team, they're doing something to make a lasting impact on people's lives. And we call that our orange team and becoming part of the orange team. So that's, that's what we do at Life Church. Those are the four things that we do uh, at Life Church to, to, to accomplish knowing God, finding your purpose, finding freedom, and then making a difference. So... Um, the key to knowing, so, so today we're going to really focus on the first one, which is knowing God. And the key to knowing God, if you're taking notes, is to forget your past and move forward. How, how many uh, just would, would just love to, to put some things in the past really behind you? You know what I'm saying? Just, just to, to, to make your past the past once and for all. One thing that I love about, about God, and one thing that I love about Jesus is that he says that when we, when we come to him... Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. We can, we can make the past the past. So I want to read this passage of Scripture from Philippians chapter 3, 10 through 14. It says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to, now, I just want to stop there and just say, we really believe that knowing God ought to, ought to bring some, some vibrancy to your life. It ought to bring some energy to your life. I want to know God in the same way that Jesus was, was raised from the dead. I want to know that kind of power. We really believe that people are not... I, I, I really think that one of the reasons that right here in the Bible Belt that churches are emptying today is I really believe that people are looking for more than just information about God. They want to have an encounter with God. 
They, they want to experience God and experience God's power. And so that's what the Apostle Paul said. I want to know you in the power. And, and then it says, and then I want to suffer with him, suffering in his death. Now I want to say things. We don't just look forward to suffering. I, I don't know about you all, but I, I, don't, I don't like to suffer. I'm not like a suffering fan. But let me just say, if you've lived long enough, you're going to experience some mountaintops and you're going to experience some suffering. So while you're suffering, you might as well suffer like Jesus did and see it be redeemable. And I want to suffer like he did and share his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ has possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. This is the one thing I do, forgetting the past... And looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So I want you to know that knowing God is a journey, it's not a destination. The Apostle Paul said, the Apostle Paul said, I haven't arrived yet. If the Apostle Paul hasn't arrived yet, I probably haven't arrived yet. Right? We're, we're, in, we're in a journey here. We're, 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 just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a work in progress. That, that's right. I, I, I don't have it all. I don't have it all figured out. Please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. All right. And uh, so I'm, I'm a work in progress. Uh, there are no. By the way, by the way, if you're here today and you're perfect, I'm going to ask if you would leave because there are no perfect people allowed at Life Church. Because if you came here and you're perfect, you're going to really mess us up. Because the rest of us aren't. And you're going to really make us feel bad. So there's, there's no perfect people allowed. And then I want to say this, and it's really important. It's okay not to be okay. It really is. Some of you came here this morning, you didn't feel okay. That's okay. It's okay not to be okay. Because I'm going to be more okay than I was when I came. I may not be oh okay, but I'm, I'm going to be a little more okay than I was when I came here. But so it's okay. And it was kind of cool. We, you know, we've had some Facebook ads around this weekend. Someone wrote us this morning and just said, I just want you to know if I, I come here, I just, I'm, I'm coming with my stuff. I'm like, great, you're going to fit right in. Perfect. But there are some barriers to knowing God. And the first barrier that I want to share with you is, is, is that there are some people that you can share with them about God and you can share, and they just, you ever just feel like you, you just run into a, a brick wall with them? And the reason is, is because some people don't believe because they don't want to believe. Because there is, there is something uh, that's called confirmation bias. It means this. We look for evidence that supports what we already believe. We, we go around looking for evidence that already fits my biases and already fits what I want to think. And so really the only way to overcome confirmation bias is finally we have to come to a point where our way isn't working anymore. We, we have to reach kind of the end of ourselves or we have to sort of uh, crash. And, and all of us, if you've, been, if you've lived long enough, have gone through that where, where, you know, we had our plan. I used to call myself Indestructo Man. That was my nickname for myself with my kids. I was strong. I was in the army. I had it. I was good looking. You know, I'm just saying, I was all of that. And then I lost my gallbladder. And then I had a hernia operation. And suddenly I felt like, you know what, I'm not indestructible, man, anymore. My way, of, my way of doing things, my way of going through life just wasn't cutting it anymore. And you know, some people say Jesus is just a crutch. Well, it's not bad if you're crippled. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? 
I mean, my way wasn't working, and I needed someone that was bigger than myself and greater than myself that could actually help me. So I don't believe because I don't want to believe. And here's one. I don't believe because I don't want to be like those Christians. Uh Uh-oh. Can I just give you an alarming statistic? The number one reason most people don't go to church is because they have been to church. Ouch. The number one reason that people don't go to church is because they've been to church. They've experienced all kinds of hypocrisy at the church and, 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 and they, they, they see sometimes the media portray Christians in, in some certain kind of way and they say, you know what, you know, I might like this Jesus guy, but his people are freaks. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and if we're not careful, you know, we can run into that. And, 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 and uh, we really strive at, uh, it's really hard for some of us, but just to be real, you know what I mean? Just to be real. Just you can be a Christian and be real. You know, Christians, uh, you, you know, sometimes we use this insider language. Praise the Lord, brother. You know, when you go to work, it's, how's it going, man? You know, just being real, you know what I'm saying? Just, just we're real people. And so, and so some people don't believe because of those Christians. And then some people don't believe because they don't want God to ruin their lives because some people think that trusting God just isn't fun. And, uh, and, and by the way, you're in the wrong church if you believe that because we even think church is fun. We think church should be fun. I mean, we're not here. We're Actually, the reason we meet on Sundays is because we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a party, guys. You know, it's Easter every Sunday. And, 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 and that's an exciting thing. And Jesus came that we might have life and that we might live it to the full, not so that we could be miserable. Because I know that some of us grew up with the rule of thumb was, if it's fun, it must be wrong. (laughs) I mean, no, I'm telling the truth this morning. Am I telling the truth this morning? Come on. Yeah, if it's fun, rule of thumb. If it's fun, stay away from it, you know. Unless you're miserable, you're probably not living it out, you know. No, no, no. Being a follower of Jesus should be exciting. And, and so, and so uh, I don't want to be like, the, I don't want God to ruin my life. And then the last one is, of course, just pride. Our free will. Our free will. Just, just there's something inside of us that resists giving our lives over to someone else. We like to be self-reliant. We like to say, no, I can do it myself. But there is a point when you just have to say, you know what? And it's kind of corny, but Jesus, take the wheel. You know what I'm saying? You, you've, got, you've got to realize that he's got to be the driver. He's got to be the one that's leading my life. Okay, now I promised that I would tell you a story about a man who actually came to know God. So this is from Luke chapter 19, and by the way, I'm 50, almost three years old, and I'm going to tell this story in a way that I've never heard it before. I studied this week, and I've, I've heard this story all my life, and I want to share a little bit of a different twist on this story, maybe than you've heard before, and it's the story of, how many have heard of the story of a guy named Zacchaeus? And when you were a kid, you heard you saying Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Yeah, he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up into the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. All right. All right, so Jesus enters through Jericho, and he was passing through. Now, so, so this is kind of a key thing. Um, he just... It's not like a destination place. It's a pass-through place. How many know that sometimes life happens when you're making other plans? When you're just passing through. But when you're passing through, something bigger than just passing through happens. So, so Jesus is just passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector. 
And he was rich. So, by the way, if you got biases, they're going, they're going crazy right now. He's a tax collector. We know tax collectors. Rich, he's, we know rich people. And he sought to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but he could not on account of the crowd because he was a wee little man. He was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for I must stay at your house. So he made haste and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, he is going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Now imagine the excitement. Jesus is coming to town. He's been doing ministry for a while, so he's already got some healings under his belt. He's got some resurrections of the dead under his belt. Can you imagine there were family members of people whose, whose family members had been healed, and they want to see Jesus who has healed them. There's the relatives of the little boy who had been raised from the dead, how excited they were. So this town is on fire as word spreads around that Jesus has come to town, and they are really pumped. I was in a crowd a little bit like that just last Thursday. Uh, not in Jericho. I was in Sevierville, Tennessee. And it was a crowd that was really excited because there was an announcement that something was coming to town. And the first 500 people that had wristbands were guaranteed to see it. And if you didn't get a wristband, come at your own risk because it was only going to be there for two hours. And you could go see it when it was there, if you could get there. Well, I decided, I, uh, I, I kind of got caught. I wasn't one of the early ones to get the wristband, but I thought, you know, I'm going to just go by and see if, I can, see if I can be a part of this today. And I was pulling into the parking lot there in Sevierville, just as there was a man who was pulling out, and he'd already seen it. And as he was pulling out, and I was walking by his car, even though he was a stranger, he rolled down his window, and he had tears in his eyes, and his eyes were bloodshot, and he said to me, did you see it? And I said, no, actually, I just got here, I see the crowd, I'm heading that way. He goes, oh, oh, oh. this was one of the high moments of my life. I said, are you from Chicago? And he said, no, no. I'm from Wyoming. I live here now, but I'm from Wyoming. But this was one of the high moments of my life. I said, really? I said, I grew up near Chicago. And the reason that that's a big deal is because what we were going to see was the Chicago Cubs World Series trophy. It was in Sevierville for two hours. Rich bands get in first. Well, after I heard the guy and saw his tears, I imagined, man, there must not be anything to do in Wyoming. <laughs> I'm just imagining this guy barely getting in WGN radio. 
all his life listening to the Cubs lose year after year after year until 2016 they won the World Series and his eyes got to see what his grandfather didn't see. And I thought, you know, I must have had a lot of high points in my life because I am not sitting around waiting in this crowd. I'm moving on. I was glad they won the World Series, but I wasn't going to stand there for two hours to see the dang trophy, you know what I mean? But, but I got a glimpse of what it must have been like, now, not just a trophy, but Jesus himself. There was so much excitement. Everyone had their Cubs gear on. It was, it was like a little Chicago there for, for a couple hours in Sevierville. And then there was Zacchaeus. It seems, it seems that all you need to know about Zacchaeus is he's, he's a short little swindling, sleazy, rich, Roman-loving tax collector. Every little, every, every little bias you can have about this guy, that little munchkin, that little, that little conniving, that cheat, that tax cheating. You know how tax collectors get their money. They collect more than they're supposed to. And this guy's so good, he's the chief one. And, 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 and to do it, he has to hang around with Romans. So we know his politics are messed up. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't uniformity, you know what I'm saying? He, he was a diverse guy in that crowd, hanging around with Romans, a little sleazy. You, you, remember, you remember that song? When I was growing up, short people got no reason. Short people got no reason to live. You ever heard that song? That was on the radio that they got little hands and little eyes. And they walk around telling great big lies. They got little noses and tiny little teeth. They wear platform shoes on their nasty little feet. Don't want no short people. Don't want no short people. Don't want no short people around me. Never heard that song? That was a big song, a big song when I was a kid. And the song was making fun of Stupid prejudices we have. How stupid. That, that because the guy's short. Why do we have these kind of dumb kind of prejudices? You know, so if, if, if Zacchaeus is in Knoxville, he's in Farragut. Yeah, he's in Farragut. We know how people in Farragut are. <laughs> he lives on the golf course and he probably cheats at golf. You know, you know the stereotype. We 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 label sections of town, don't we? You know, you know. I live on Taswell, up on the bluff. You know, bluff people. You know, my daughter Natalie. She lives in East Knoxville. We know East Knoxville. You know, high crime. Of course, of course. When I go to her house, everyone sits on their neighbor and talks to each other. And my house on the bluff got ripped off last year. I got robbed. You know. That doesn't always work out the way that our, our biases tend to say that things should work out. And so, and so everyone has these perceptions of him because he's a tax collector. We've, we've assumed he's, he's done it by cheating. Uh, he's short. We know what that means. He's just short. That's it. And so he's feeling kind of orange. Go to the next, go to the next slide, if you will. So, uh, we, we, we talk about that at Life Church. We, we have this 
We have this image of this tree, and, and the reason the leaves are blue is because blue is pe- people's favorite color. And then if you don't live in Tennessee, people's least favorite color is orange. It's different in Tennessee, but because, you know, the vols. But anyway, but, but orange is people's least favorite color. And we, we contend at Life Church that everyone feels orange in some way or another. They feel, they feel like, you know, everyone else in this church today, they got it together. But if they knew me... Huh, if they knew the life I'd lived, you know, I've heard people, the, the ceiling is going to come in. If I, if I darken the doors of this church, you know, here's this, here's this tax collecting Roman hanging out with kind of guy. He's short. His politics are wrong. And, and when, when, when we came up with this logo, we intend, we, you know, first we thought about having the orange in the middle and all the, all the blue leaves just kind of hugging the orange leaf and all that. But now we got him out on the fringe. Cause, and this kind of where I just kind of see that, that Zacchaeus was. He's hanging out there on a tree. He's up there on a fringe. He's out there. He's feeling, he's feeling awful orange and what he thinks is a sea of blue. Jesus saw what others didn't see. When you were praying, you didn't know this, Tom, but when you were praying, you said, I just pray that everyone would, you said something to this effect. You said, I just pray that everyone would just experience God calling their name, that, that they're not just a group, of their name. And he said, not because he was wearing a, a name tag. He said Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus has a name. He's not just a tax collecting Roman hanging out with rich dude. He's Zacchaeus, and he has a name. And Jesus saw something that everyone else didn't see, because if you'd read this story in context, you would have learned that Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter in the kingdom of heaven. And so here we see this short guy doing something that men don't do, something that kids do. He's running, and he's climbing trees. He runs and he climbs a tree because no one gets him. No one understands him. And he gets up there on the end of that tree, kind of hiding there among the leaves. I see him out there. He wants to see and not be seen. He wants to see Jesus. And then, and then I told you that I was gonna, I was gonna tell you the story in a way that I've never heard it before. I'm not even sure that my way's right, but it's one of the possible ways of interpreting this story. That I've never heard till I was studying this week. Most people that translate this passage, or this, this story, when it comes to the point where Jesus comes to his house, and he makes this big announcement. In the, in the NIV, the New International Version, it says it this way. If I can find it. He says, I will give half my money to the poor. And, and if I've defrauded anyone, I will restore them four times. The problem with that translation is that it's translated in the future tense, but in the original Greek, it's in the present tense. And only the King James and the RSV translate it that way, and that's actually the way that I chose to read it this morning from the RSV, because because it translates it in the present tense, where he says, Behold, Lord, 
Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it four times. Do you catch the differences of meaning there? Most translators are so convinced that this guy is a sleazy, rich, short, Farragut golf cheating, you know what? That they translate it that way because surely he can't be doing good any good because but but you know it's just like Jesus to mess up our images like this because he tells stories of Samaritans who are good Samaritans. Maybe the reason this guy is rich. It's because he's been so stinking honest. Maybe he has the favor of God on him. And, 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 he, uh, and he gives half of his money to the poor. And, and, and he's, he's not doing it. He's just doing it out of the goodness of his heart. And then, and then if he finds that he's defrauded anyone, he makes it up four times. And Jesus sits back and says, man, oh, this guy is a true son of Abraham. This guy is a true son of Abraham. But I also don't want you to mistake and say that mistake and say that those good things, those good works that he done is what made him saved. It wasn't. Sometimes when we talk to people about getting saved, we talk to them about how dirty and rotten they are, and, and we talk about the total depravity of man, that all of us without God were totally depraved and, and all of that. But can I just tell you that before we talk about the total depravity of people, we need to remember that every individual was made in the image of God. And that there is something in them that's worth saving. That there is something in every individual. There is something in everybody that's beautiful. That God says, oh, there's something about, oh, I know it's messed up. I know it's gone askew. And I know sin's got a hold of our lives. And, and I'm not saying Zacchaeus was a perfect guy. I'm just saying Jesus may have seen something that no one else was seeing in this guy. He sees his name. He sees his childlike faith. He sees, he, sees, he sees in Zacchaeus something that no one else sees. And he says, man, this is a son of Abraham. And he says, you're, you're a child of God. By, by the way, by the way, by the way, this is important, guys. Becoming a Christian, becoming saved, doesn't mean that, that, that you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, and then at that moment he forgives you of your sins. Now, I've got some really good news for you. Jesus already on the cross forgave you of every sin that you ever have, or presently, or will ever in the future commit, period. Hebrews calls it once for all. He died once for all. He died once for all people. He died once for all time. Jesus is not sitting back there withholding forgiveness from you, waiting to see if you will grovel for long enough that he will finally grant you forgiveness. And so being saved is really accepting your acceptance. The fact that no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've been, no matter what you've committed, that you accept his free gift. He's not going to die on the cross again. He's already died once for all. It's already been forgiven. Every sin. Now that doesn't mean that everyone's going to heaven. I'm not preaching universalism today because you still have to receive that free gift. But I just want to say this morning that the free gift has already been given. And it's just a matter of receiving what is already done for you. 
And he saw in you what no one else saw. And he loved you so much that he died on the cross. And if it had just been you, he would have died for just you. That's what he saw. So the first step to knowing God is accepting our acceptance. I'm going to close with this if the worship team would come. One of my favorite preachers is a guy named Fred Craddock. Fred Craddock was, was sharing a story about how he and his sister used to love to play hide-and-go-seek. And, and he would love to play with his older sister, hide-and-go-seek, and he would hide, and she would count to 100, and then go running and look for him, and she always found him. But he described the time that they were playing hide-and-go-seek, and he found the perfect hiding place. He says it was underneath the porch steps. He could just barely squeeze in there. She couldn't see him. He hid in the perfect hiding place and hid from his sister. His sister went and counted to a hundred. And when she got done counting, she ran right down the steps and right over where he was. And he just giggled and giggled and said, she can't find me. She ran through the hay field and couldn't find him. She ran back up on the porch right over where he was sitting and He's giggling, saying, she'll never find me. He ran, she ran around the house and up the stairs again, and he's giggling and saying, she'll never find me, she'll never find me. And then he said to himself, it dawned on him, she'll never find me. She'll never find me. So the next time she came by, he stuck out a little toe. She just still didn't see that. And, and, and she came one more time, and this time he stuck out his whole leg. And she said, oh, there you are. I found you. And he said, oh, shucks. Yeah, you found me. And what Fred Craddock said about that story is he said, isn't it true, isn't it true that every one of us want to be found? Don't we all want to be found? And so Zacchaeus is up in the tree kind of see him sticking his little toe out. <laughs> Seeing Jesus, not wanting to be seen. Sort of. And then Jesus calls his name and says, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. And I don't know who you are today, but you came here today and Jesus sees you. He knows your name. He's got your number. He wants to find you and you to be found. He sees in you what no one else does. People who've labeled you and had all kinds of biases and stereotypes against you. He sees somebody so different. And by the way, church, I hope that's what we do as well.